Episode 24, Hurricane Katrina, Ham Radio, the recovery, and more coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photime, the other ham radio podcast, sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. So it is episode 24. Hey, I'm Kale. Welcome into Photime. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. My call is Kilo for Charlie Delta November. Photime is a podcast for the new guy or the younger amateur. Whether you're just getting into the hobby, whether you've been here for 40 years, or whether you're not really sure if it's something you want to try out, you can listen to these programs. We can help you determine that. Hopefully we can kind of push you gently right into the big vast pool we know as amateur radio. Hey, like I said, it's episode 24. If you haven't heard any of them before, you can go back and listen to them on our site. It's photime.com, I-T-S-F-O-T-I-M-E.com. And you can check out everything there. We've got um, got all of our, our past episodes listed, some blog postings as well, some links and stuff. And, and, of course, with every program, we put in some show notes so that if we say something or talk about something you may not understand, you can check out the website. It's photime.com. Maybe follow the links and maybe educate yourself or even comment or post a comment there on the site and we can help you through there. Also, this time through, we have a poll up about Echolink on the itsphotime.com website. It's with this episode, which is number 24. You can find that. You can do the poll. Just three questions. It's about Echolink. Love to have some input on that because we're going to talk a lot about Echolink during this episode. Kind of not really meaning to, but it just happened. And this episode is sponsored by our friends at mtcradio.com. Our great friends, Richard and Christy Lenore down in Paris, Texas, our favorite amateur radio shop. We encourage you to check them out, not just because they're a sponsor, but because they're some genuinely awesome people. Richard and Christy Lenore at mtcradio.com. But we got to get into this episode. Here we go. Let's get it. All right. So uh, we've got Carl McNair with us, Kilo Bravo 5 Whiskey Mike Yankee. And Carl is from uh, Bossier County down in Louisiana. Did I say that right? Well, it's parishes in Louisiana. From Bossier, Paris? That's correct. Louisiana has parishes, but it's the same as a county. Okay, okay. That was confusing. And and what we're here to talk about with Carl today is is the part that he played and the part that Ham Radio played in the uh, recovery from Hurricane Katrina. And uh, I remember that very well. I only had two kids back then, and um, we spent some time driving back and forth between Mississippi and uh, Louisiana and South Carolina hauling supplies. But I wasn't an amateur then, but I've heard a lot of stories, Carl, since that time uh, about the roles that radio and amateur radio played uh, in the Katrina effort. But before we go there, I want to ask you real quick, what got you into amateur radio? Well, actually, I was interested in radio since I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I got into electronics and uh, began by building my own 11-meter radio, uh, CB which is sometimes a dirty word for the hams, but uh, everybody starts somewhere. And I was a local REACT manager in uh, Falls Church, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. at age 13. I had my own piece of gear that I built. It was crystal operated. It actually was a TV chassis when it started out. So I was really proud of it. One of the few things, pieces of gear that I've actually built in my life 
and uh, it worked. Wow, wow! So that so you were you were involved in electronics for a very long time, but it it wasn't that you were a licensed amateur until what time? What year? Uh, I got my ham ticket about nineteen ninety two, I think. Okay. Uh, I've I've been a ham for about twenty five years. I yeah. have. <laughs> And and you weren't uh, one of these one day uh, one day zero to hero kind of guys. You were a tech for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. I remained a tech for about the first fourteen years, uh, and it wasn't easy uh, to pass the test. I was real familiar with electronics, but it doesn't have much to do with the testing, even the current day testing to be a ham. Uh, it's more about uh, today. Uh, it's more about how and where you operate and uh, general procedures, uh, and uh, although they're rarely followed on the air by a lot of hams these days, uh, it's, it's more about how you should conduct yourself rather than about the highly technical world like most people think. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, Carl, I think a lot of people, that may scare some people off thinking that, oh gosh, I'll never be able to, to get all that. But it's like we've said time and again on this program, amateur radio is really an on-the-job training kind of a kind of a hobby, whereas you get licensed to utilize the frequencies, but you really learn what you're doing by doing. Well, that's really at the root of what ham radio is, is to provide a bunch of technically skilled communicators for a time of need with their country. And even the frequencies, they're, they're all military. In fact, here where I am, right next to Barksdale, often there'll be convoys leaving out from time to time, and they'll be using the two-meter band. Oh, that put people all in a tizzy for a while there, but uh, they have first claim to the frequencies. And as long as they're not interfering with other communications, you just kind of hush up and listen and enjoy it or leave them alone. There you go. They are the first claimants to the bands. Right. Just have it on loan. Everybody kind of takes for granted that they're ours forever, but <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, yeah. So l- let's let's talk a little bit about Katrina. You you live in um, in the Bossier Parish in in Louisiana. Now, where is that in relation to where the where Katrina actually came on to shore near the Pass Christiane and the uh, down there in the bottom end of the state. Where, whereabouts are you located geographically in the state of Louisiana? In the very northwest corner of Louisiana, about uh, 18 miles uh, south of Arkansas and uh, 14 or 15 miles out of Texas, so right up in the corner, uh, 180 to 200 miles away from New Orleans area itself. Although Katrina wasn't just New Orleans, the news covered New Orleans, but we had devastation all along the Gulf. And it wasn't just Katrina, by the way. Uh, right following Katrina, during the same recovery period, we had Rita come through. Yeah. And Rita, although they didn't give it much, uh, it didn't have its own theme music on the news, <laughs> Rita brought 100-mile-an-hour-plus winds to Jackson, Mississippi, which is as far off the coast as I am here. In fact, wow. it's father's hometown. Wow. All right, so, so what does a man... What is a man in a, a little town, almost in Texas, on the, in the top part of Louisiana? What is he going to? How how can he help somebody on the coast of Louisiana after the this devastation that we knew as Katrina came through? How how did how did you play a part? How did your operations 
uh, and your skill set come into play? Well, I was part of a group of communicators training to be liaisons between the professional world of police, fire, and EMS and the civilians so that the police would actually have more eyes on the ground during serious problems. I had had all the NIMS courses training and the FEMA training, so I knew the hierarchy and who I had to bow the lowest to when it came down to it. <laughs> we were all still just, uh, until something happened, uh, we felt like we were just filling a position in order to keep us busy with something. Well, that wasn't quite so. The morning that Katrina hit, I had actually gone to work, uh, sigh of relief, the news reported everything looks fine, no major devastation. I got to work and was at work for about an hour or so and just settling in for a day's, a day's grind at my job when the phone rang and the local marshal, uh, actually the, the uh, assistant marshal called and he said, Carl, we need somebody. We're getting emergency calls at 911, and this was another strange part. But we need somebody who knows how to handle that stuff. And a little side note, I had lived in New Orleans for almost three years and uh, just recently moved back to the area. But uh, so I went down to the local uh, comm, which is 911, but they, they're a communications dispatch and everything in one place. And it's not within the city, as some law says, they have to be out of the city that they're operating for. So anyway, it's north of town a, a good bit. So I drove out there. Let's see what will happen. Got there in my work clothes and uh, uh, got let in because it is a secure building. And they said, uh, so you're what they sent to help us. And there I was with my little talkie in my hand and a thumb drive in my pocket. That's all I carried with me. It's all I needed. Well, I wasn't planning on any major outing. I walked in, and I, I had a station there with a small computer workstation and a radio that had already been set up by hams at, at the place. It had both HF and VHF, and that was a serious problem since I was only a VHF user at the time, just a, uh, uh, a technician. So I got to my position and set up, and uh, I was talking and got everything, got a net set up and said, uh, you know, I, I commandeered a repeater, uh, one that I had additionally already had uh, uh, tied in uh, an ICOM radio at the house with recording capabilities on. I commandeered the repeater and said, well, we'll please use some of the other repeaters here locally. I'll be conducting net services here. And... With the storm damage, a large percentage of the calls that were to 911 from New Orleans, Baton Rouge area even, actually were routed to our local 911 center. And the people in there, the dispatchers, are wonderful at what they do, but they have a limitation to what area they can cover with such detail. And there we go back to, I used to live there. Uh, I sat in and I knew the streets and everything and I set up my toys on my thumb drive, got things going. Uh, we had to back check when someone called in since there were so many false calls that came in. We took their phone number. If they were on a cell phone, we said, what is your home phone number? And we would take their phone number and we would cross-reference it to find the address 
and at the same time, using uh, Google Earth, by the way, we would uh, not only verify the address, we would get a general idea with the street view of what the area looked like, if it was low-lying areas and such. And, uh, well, most of New Orleans is low-lying. That was a real planning problem in the beginning, I think. But So we would check the area. We would get GPS coordinates because the other people that were there in New Orleans to perform the rescue, the search and rescue and search and recovery, they weren't really familiar with the area. And some places, street signs were beneath the level of the water anyway. Wow. So I give, give GPS coordinates, give verified that this call came from these people. They are listed as living at this address, and that's where they say they are. So it cut out problems. It also cut out duplication. Each message I sent out, both via Internet, I would email a center that would put it on HF, uh, some people in Ohio, just volunteers. I would also email a center that was in the Pensacola area of Florida and send them the same message. Each message just got a number, basically started out with the, the month and the day, the day for date, and then the number of the message. There were over 1,700 that week. Wow. So you had come into this emergency communication center. Was this the first time you'd ever been in this building, or were you familiar with the building that's layout and, and what would probably be expected from you? Well, I had been in it twice as we were setting up some gear. We had uh, a pneumatic uh, tower for local events that had communications radios and a repeater built on it. And, you know, during that time, we would go inside because it was hot out, and we'd, we'd look around the place, and I had training on a um, what's best described as an operator station because at that time most of the systems had their 800 megahertz radios but none of them had a common frequency each one would have their own set for the trunking and they couldn't talk to each other and we had this machine in there we could listen to all the traffic going on at once and I think there were nine particular bands on this with the radios and if the marshal's office said, I need to talk to the state police, as yeah, so windows. We just drag marshal's office over and set it with state police, and those two guys could talk to each other through the radio system, basically a repeater with multiple inputs and outputs, and we could select who, who got who. And you have to be careful with that because you can really cause interference, and the professionals don't like interference a bit. <laughs> yeah, they're not the amateurs, right? Well, they know communications, they know brevity, uh, they know a lot of things that I didn't know going in. Uh, it gets hard to maintain when you spend so many hours talking to various people and um, uh, talking people until they could no longer, no longer talk. Uh, I talked to many people until they were gone. That really affects you. But anyway, uh, you... <laughs> The professionalism they have to treat everything as a non-personal item, uh, you, it really seems hard, but you have to isolate yourself from it in those things. I wasn't able to do that. Right. Well, you but, know, I, I've even spoken to some guys that were down there with tree services and performing, you know, cleanup. And, and those, came, those, those guys came back, they were changed people. I mean, it, it, was, it was such a dramatic and traumatic event that it, it forever affected that person in some, in some fashion? I, I don't think anyone involved wasn't affected in some way. 
it was a major learning experience for everyone. I wasn't trained to do what I did. I was familiar with the radio. I was familiar with how things were set up. And, of course, the, uh, the, the, uh, the radio system I was actually trained on didn't have to do with the ham communications that I was performing. And every telephone call that came in from what was an unfamiliar place with the dispatchers was given to me so I could do what I could to send it back to them. And there was a major logistical problem. VHF is good for maybe 50 miles, and on a good day, a tad farther, if you got a really good setup with the antenna and plenty of power and everything else. But at the other end, there weren't any antennas. There were really a few, a few hams that were capable of operating, so very difficult. And the short wave, the HF spectrum, is for a longer, it bounces off the ionosphere, off, ah, the F2 layer, I think, but it's for longer distance than this 200 miles we had. Uh, only a very rare circumstances uh, for NVIS does it actually work at that close of a range. And uh, I've been working with NVIS. I think I've got it down now. At any rate, uh, it's only good at a much larger, longer range. So what I had to do was I had to find a way to get the word down there. I either needed to talk to someone closer in and have them relay the message, or I needed to talk to someone farther out. And so I set up Echolink, which was already in the equipment uh, on my thumb drive. And, uh, you know, when they saw Louisiana was online, everybody had to, had to come in there on Echolink and let's see what <laughs> Uh, well, I was a scanner listener, too, way back when. And, you know, it's exciting to hear what's going on and uh, at least participate in some manner. So anyway, it wasn't long where I had, oh, a dozen people connected on Echolink. And I asked if anyone had means of using HF and from locations uh, in the northern U.S. And I, I got two or three volunteers and one in particular was a recruiter, uh, I think a Marine recruiter. It may be Navy. I hope I don't, inter hope I don't get someone mad. But uh, this man said, well, say, I have a son who's with the Coast Guard. He's down there performing operations now. And, uh, okay, well, I already had him tied in and helping. And, again, I would text messages over Echo Link to him and other two other volunteers he had with him, they would get on HF and send it south uh, to, in one case, one of the guys from the Shreveport area here who actually was flown down in a jet to the, uh, to the region in Pensacola at the nearest base there, and he was performing the same duties down there and directing some of the air, air traffic, or at least telling them where, where uh, hot spots were that needed attention. And there were some, some that didn't make the news, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, but it was not as rough as the news said in some cases, and much worse than the news said in many cases. Uh, the news had their own theme music, and they sh showed a few bodies that was sad, but it was the same few bodies because they weren't allowed into the area where the real trouble was. So anyway, this messages got bounced around, and eventually made it to where they were going and my number system avoided duplication at the other end 
and it avoided tying up what few resources they had because many of the calls I was getting were people trapped in attics and if I didn't get some help to them soon, well, I had a good percentage but not 100% on, uh, on getting helicopter rescue to the right areas in the right time. But the one young man that was down there on the Coast Guard vessel had a satellite phone. And a satellite phone was a real saving grace in this thing because it could operate at any distance. And through his father, the recruiter in Ohio, we worked out where I would be able to call him and give him direct information and GPS coordinates of people needing uh, desperate help. And so that really brought some continuity to the system. And uh, this was things that we learned on the fly. Nobody had a plan. Use Google Earth and get GPS. Call and make sure that it's the right, it's not a crank call or it's not a duplicate call. These are things that were learned on the fly. And uh, Okay, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit. I didn't have to think long to figure these things out that we needed to be sure that we told them what they needed to know and we didn't tell them anything extra and we needed to be sure we were right. So, you know, a, a lot of times we, we think about as operators, you know, I'll get my license, especially new guys coming in, they, they get their license and they're like, well, you know, I can, I've got a, a $30 Balfang HT and I can talk around the county and I'm good. Uh, and if anything bad were to ever happen, well, you know, I can grab my HT and everything's hunky-dory. Uh, and and that might be as far as they go, and they don't they don't go any further with any type of training or whatnot. And you know, a lot of us encourage folks to to find your niche in the hobby. You know, emergency communications is not for everyone. I mean, there's there's a lot of people who just mentally cannot handle emergency communications traffic, and that's okay. But if you are leaning that way, li- listen to Carl through through this so far. He's told us that he had the training. He had been in the facility. He had made himself known to the local folks who could call on him in case of a need. And he took all that, that, all that, that he had, in addition to, like he says, learning on the fly, putting it all together and making it happen. And, and Carl, you were, you were like the other operators there. You're, you're describing whether they were in the, the Bossier Parish with you or they were the gentlemen in, in Ohio or the men on the, on the other end of the coast. You guys were putting your training in, in your skill set together to affect people's lives in a very positive way and i think that's very important that we remind folks to listen that you know it's not just about grabbing a walkie-talkie and if anything were to ever happen you go, you're, you're okay because you have a walkie-talkie there's a lot more to it than that well i think one of the most important the training you know i was a computer nut and electronics and everything and uh, that really didn't play much to it. The equipment worked when I pushed the button, as long as I knew to, which piece of equipment to use. Uh, being so far away from the direct trouble, you know, we were isolated, so we didn't have much visual, although it didn't take me long to get the computer lined up where I could check DOT cameras about the center. Oh, it's glass fiber, by the way. Uh, the Internet was working. <laughs> didn't have much power but I could I could see DOT cameras and when somebody called in I could pull the nearest DOT camera 
uh, right off the internet and look and say, well, that area is underwater. You know, they're, they're going to need some major rescue or we need someone, you know, this area is dry. We can just send a truck over there to, you know, uh, dispense a little help and pick anyone up that needed to be taken. Most of the, uh, the people picked up by, by the search and rescue were taken to the main airport, uh, in, De in, well, not Destrehan. Where is that? Just, uh, it's just outside of the city on the north side and it was high ground. Well, that's why they put airports there. It's closer to get the airplanes in and out. So anyway, it was a good high ground area that had plenty of place for people. They could care for folks and they could route them through flights as they needed to, 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 to move them on out of the area. But anyway, so we, we had all of these people that we had to get and in the directions, I'll just say it was overwhelming. And, uh, it was, uh, 16 to 18 hours a day I spent there at the center. And when I wasn't directly there on the phone and with the computers and such, I was at home with a cell phone they provided me with. Oh boy. <laughs> Every call they got involving Katrina, the New Orleans and Gulf Coast region came to me because they didn't have maps. They didn't have computer settings. They didn't have time to research it because they were performing. You know, you say, well, here he is. I'm actually in Bossier City and Bossier Parish is the county, but right we're attached to Shreveport. And we had 40,000 guests come for dinner. Wow. People who were escaping the storm uh, in front of and, and after it. And to say our area was affected, it rained here a little. But the real effect was gas stations, fast food, grocery stores were being stripped because they are not set up to provide that kind of supply for that many more people. They work on a need basis. Generally, every three days, the food is turned over in the grocery store. Okay, when you get 20% more people in town, and I'll have to admit, when you see cars driving down the road with gas cans on top of them strapped down, and you see people hanging, you know, hanging out the windows, when they hit a store, they didn't just buy a loaf of bread. They bought everything they thought they might ever need. And so the locals were actually having trouble finding things like gas. I had to, I had to pay over $3 a gallon for premium gas, which uh, the station was doing something irregular then because average price was about $1.70 back then. So anyway, I had to pay an outrageous price just so I could get back to the center, uh, you know, and I went ahead, I filled up the car with that high-priced stuff to get there. And just little things. My recordings that I made, which is part of the audio you have available, those were not done as a, a matter of history. They were done to back-check that I took care of every call that came in. And we're going to listen to some of those recordings here in just a couple of minutes. But first, a break with mtcradio.com. Visit mtcradio.com today. A great one-stop mom-and-pop shop for everything ham radio. 
radios, antennas, power supplies, wire and cable, books and training materials, microphones, headsets, and accessories. Find popular brands like MFJ, Heil Sound, Jetstream, LDG, Alinko, Comet, Texas Bugcatcher, Radio Waves, and more. MTCRadio.com, an authorized Kenwood and ICOM dealer. MTCRadio.com. So uh, we're back with Carl, Carl McNair, Kilo Bravo 5, Whiskey Mike Yankee from uh, Bossier Paris in Louisiana. Carl, along with a mass, a mass of amateur radio operators, contributed greatly to the recovery after Hurricane Katrina. Now, you may remember episode one here of the podcast. We started with the Joplin tornado disaster and our friend, um, whose name just Cecil, Cecil Higgins. There it is. Alpha Charlie... Uh, anyway, anyway, sorry, Cecil, I can't pull your call out of the top of my head, but w- we've talked about this before, and it's it's not just one man, it's not just one person. There's so many people working together, uh, but we can't have five or six thousand individuals on the podcast at one time. We're bringing you a personal story from someone who was personally involved in the Katrina recovery, and that is Carl McNeil. Now, Carl, uh, we've got some audio that. Uh, we're going to bring in here in just a moment to discuss uh, the the proposition, what was going on at the time. And, and this is the prison calls, the prison hospital call. Uh, we'll hear a little bit of that now, and we'll come back in just a moment and, and discuss that real quick. It's KB5WMY. I need an HF op who's capable of passing emergency traffic within the next few moments. Uh, that will be available momentarily. KB5WMY, W5JLH. Well, wherever you can get somebody uh, headed south with it, this is emergency. We were just speaking to them. They found a cell phone, and we're able to talk here. I'll, uh, I'll give you Retta momentarily with details. She's working at it now. N5JLH, WB5HXD, you ready to copy? Roger, ready to copy. Go ahead, Retta. The name is Michael. We have just had an immediate phone call to his family here in the family was is uh, is our victims who are here in Bossier. They um, called and said she had had a desperate phone call on a cell phone that is dying from her brother, who is a staff psychiatrist at the New Orleans Parish Prison. I do not have an address. It is the New Orleans Parish Prison. They evacuated all of the prisoners. He is a physician there. They left the physicians. He said, we need airlifting. We are dying. Okay, uh, just New Orleans Parish Prison. There's no address or, or anything like that? Okay, and that's his name is Michael Higgins? His name is Michael Higgins but there are several physicians there. The staff was left behind. There are several people there, and he said they, they are in such dire condition they need airlifting. Okay, uh, go ahead and get all the information you can. Meanwhile, I'll be trying to, to pass what we know. Okay, he, um, uh, he, he just called. This is, this is a current call within the last 10 minutes. You didn't have the phone number that he called from, did you, by, by chance? 
She said the phone was dying. She didn't think it would make another. She she would have. She said I can give it to you, but it won't make another call. So so I I didn't. She was crying, so I didn't make her give it to me. Yeah, that's what they're they're trying to validate some of that stuff by getting the number. But that's okay. I'll I'll, I'll see what I can do without it. They they just need it for validation. Roger, it is Orleans Parish Prison, Orleans Parish Prison, at Tulane and Broad. We've had many rescue calls in the past days from that area. It's right against the interstate. But, uh, you copy information? Roger, QSL, that helps a lot, too. Uh, I'll let you know something as soon as I can, uh, Carl. Any additional info, just pass it on. W5JLH, clear. Okay, repeating Orleans Parish Prison at the corner of Tulane and Broad, and it, it, it's right against the interstate, but these people have been there for five days with very little provision and currently advise it. Uh, out. QSL, Carl, W5JLH. I'll uh, let you know something the second I, I get it uh, passed. KB5WMY, W5WRG. KB5WMY. Yeah, Carl. That last QSA uh, we had there, we talked to, I read a talk to the people, and that was concerning that doctor that called in, called his sister. They was trapped at the prison. They rescued him and either, I think, 20 other people, thanks to us. Good job. Yeah, that's, that's a, they airlifted all of them to down to Homa, H-O-M-A. H-O-U-M-A. His, his sister just called here and they saved all of them in the building. So, great job. Sorry. Good to hear that. KB5WMY. Okay, well, we just <clears throat> we just got it, and I knew you'd want to know. Uh, makes you feel good. WRG nine one one center. So, Carl, I hear you calling at the beginning there for you know needing an, an HF link to to pass traffic. Were you on Echo Link there, or were you on a local repeater? Where were you trying to go with this call? These recordings actually came from our local two meter. And I was using the two-meter repeater to coordinate some of the other hams, both on VHF and HF. Uh, most of them had involved nets at the time and were able to pass communications a little bit better. This was on about the third day after the storm hit. So I would call for an HF op. I would also, at the same time, type in the information and I would send it via echo link to the hams in Ohio and in Pensacola who were helping assist by also putting these messages on HF. We were sending in the blind. Uh, I never knew, well, I did get some feedback, but I never knew where the message went after I let go of it. And that's why it was so critical to keep everything as brief and concise as possible and number the messages because if you get 14 different people sending the same message in besides the confusion it just causes a real loss of, of 
much needed supplies and, and people that were conducting these rescue efforts. So uh, you had to keep everything as close as you could. And of course, everyone else involved, I wasn't the only man, but the others involved in receiving calls and transferring the calls, they probably had their own, I don't know, the numbering the messages, I just did that on the fly. And it's like you lose sleep. Well, I did it, and it felt like the right thing to do, but I didn't know if it would, it would help confusion or only add to it. But it seems to have worked out well for many. So I was calling for an HF op to get one of our local operators to actually put it on voice. And you would think, well, you emailed it, you sent it on, on Echolink to HAMS, You've already received the call. So uh, that's enough. And uh, I say, no, it's, it's not. You want to send it every possible way to give it every chance of getting there because we had still only had very few call returns and feedback that it had worked. Now, later in the recording on the rest of this, after I, I got the message out, you will hear where I am actually called on the repeater to let me know the outcome of the story because I had to move to a new location and take care of some other business real quick. And uh, uh, my adopted mom and pop, uh, uh, literally a, a, a husband and wife ham couple here in town who had also received similar training to mine at the center. They were known there. They came out to, to spell me for a little bit and to give me some relief because this was uh, – this was becoming uh, quite an ordeal for me, too. Uh, so anyway, you will hear them give me the call to let me know of our success. Now, you know, I found interesting the, the, where this call came from, because here you were in, in Bossier Parish, almost into Arkansas and Texas, 180 miles away from Ground Zero. And someone in your city who had been displaced from the storm received the initial call from the gentleman, the doctor there in the, the prison hospital all the way up where you are. She takes her phone and calls 911 and winds up in your local 911 center because there she is in your town displaced. And she passes the information on to you. You pass it through all the, the channels that you can find to send it through and, and thank the good Lord that the folks were found and taken care of it. It, you know, it just, when I was listening to this, it really struck me how many, many different avenues that message took and what it took to get it to the people who needed to receive it so that the help could be sent to the people who were in need. Well, there was another factor that uh, doesn't really show on the recording, but the parish prison had already had all the personnel and prisoners removed from the prison. It was listed as vacant. Mm. So rescue efforts were not going to be focused on that area. Uh, and again, we went back through the man in Ohio to his son on the Coast Guard vessel and said, look, this is current. The hospital staff, the medical staff are still there. They are listed as having been removed from the building already, but they are still there. And it took a good bit of convincing 
to get them to take the personnel necessary to deal with this. It was literally done by helicopter. Uh, the, the parish prison is uh, in a very busy part of the city. It wasn't necessarily major dangerous, but there was no safe way for these people to get out. And they were in pretty desperate circumstances as the, the prisoners there and uh, several days they did not have food. They did not have water. They had used up even all of their IV fluids to keep themselves hydrated, and uh, they were they were pretty desperate. Yeah, yeah, and I'm very grateful that you were there, as I'm sure they are. And uh, you know, it, it goes back to uh, it being a. It, it's not Carl. It's not Kale. It's not Cecil. It's the the community, the Ham community coming together to to better and and to provide you know things to our fellow man um you know going back real quick to that there's a there's a listener his name's paul he's a great guy he also lives in down in louisiana i think a little south of you and and paul was he was not an amateur radio operator he had he had always been into electronics he's a musician he's always full with sound equipment uh but when he stood on one side of a flooded road and watched the sheriff's officer wade through chest deep water to get to the other side to to use a radio to call in for help for someone he decided right then and there he was never going to find himself in that position again and he became an amateur radio operator and has become become quite affluent in his uh his his area he helps he's he's involved in his local club and the, the area's races groups and the training, he he saw it firsthand. He didn't have the, the the luxury of picking up his $35 walkie-talkie and calling for help. He wasn't there yet. But after living through that and seeing how uh, a needs of communication exist in a time of duress, he made sure that he would never be there again. So uh, another call I want, to, I want to chat with you about, Carl, is uh, is the young lady who is pregnant and, and has medical needs. And we'll play some of that, and then we'll come back, and you can tell us about it. Okay, I'll start again with the address, 26 West, West Bend Parkway. That was West, West Bend Parkway. Building 12, apartment 16. This is New Orleans. Okay, I've got all of that. Phone number at that address, 504 Zero three five. Okay. Subject: Four months pregnant. Low on oxygen. Needs paramedic. Needs urgent medical attention. Okay. I have the call in for return number. We've got a young lady who's pregnant in an apartment complex. I'm assuming. Uh, she's got more than just pregnancy issues. Am I correct? She also has some further further uh, health problems. Yes, she had some major health problems that, uh, you know, the pregnancy should have been in a much more sheltered area. She was on the second or third floor, and the first floor was underwater. Uh, she needed help. She was out of oxygen. She needed some other medications. And... It was very frustrating not knowing, promising her, we will get help. It was a very frustrating situation, but all you can do is add, add some confidence to them 
and assure them that help is on the way. And we, of course, did the GPS location. And actually, I think a, a large truck was able to drive into the area where she was. I did not get a return message at the time, although somewhere around 3 a.m. Uh, the following morning, I got a call. I was told that she was all right. She had survived the ordeal and was in, in a safe area at the time. It's a it's it's a move it's a moving experience to talk about. Like I said, I, I made a couple of trips down, and and it affected you. It affected everyone there um, to see fellow humans suffering the way that they did, and a lot of people could not help themselves. And, and thankfully, folks uh, stepped up and and did offer assistance. Uh, we, we've got all kind of audio that, that you recorded, and uh, we'll probably tag it on to the end of this program. So after the, the closing music finishes up, we'll have a, an edited version of some of the calls that Carl participated in um, to, to further help you just kind of see what, what was going on from just one singular perspective. In South Carolina, we had Fox News, we had CNN, we had everybody there filming, you know, the helicopters flying, flying around the Superdome. But, you know, we didn't hear reports coming from the Superdome saying probably not the safest place to go. But there were amateurs out there saying we're getting reports that it's probably not the safest place to go. So a lot of people were saved some headache uh, from the amateurs operating in that aspect. Going back just a minute, Carl, to uh, to having a radio, to being a licensed amateur radio operator and, and being a casual licensee and then something happening in and around your area or something that you can affect change in, uh, how would you encourage people who who have their license and, and who want to be involved, uh, but sometimes they don't think that they've got anything to contribute? Oh, no, there's a lot that anyone can contribute. Uh, number one is to have skill with your radio, and most of these new radios, and I, lo- I have one, two, three, I'm looking over at the table next to I have four of the Baofeng radios sitting in stand chargers now. I'm, it's just me. I'm one guy. But I loan these things out fairly often. Anyway, operate when you can. Go to field day. Even if you're a technician, you can operate on the HF radios. Uh, do parades. Ham volunteer groups often cover parades, uh, marathons. We have a triathlon or something here they swim in the lake, they ride bikes, and they run. And so the logistics of covering an area, you know, even if it's without the use of a repeater, you need a person every two to three miles, and you need safety if someone is to fall or need help. So these things are not hard to do. They're easy to do, but it is excellent practice to learn to communicate with other people to communicate under what slight duress there is because the way you react when you're under stress is you revert to your basic training, what you learn to do. And closing your eyes and shaking is not going to deal with it. You've got to help those people. That's why you're there. You need to put the verb in ham. Don't just leave it as equipment in a box until you're ready to use it or You need to use it, know how to use it, and have confidence in it, and have confidence in yourself. I'm just a good talker, but uh, 
I was thrown into a situation that I would have not volunteered to do, but I would do it again today. How, um, how have things changed, Carl, since, since Katrina came through? And granted, it's been, what, almost 10 years? And uh, it, this year, I think, is the 10th year anniversary that she came through. Uh, how has things changed just where you're at regarding emergency communications, uh, interruptibility between different uh, organizations? Because it seems to me that after FEMA really embarrassed themselves with their initial response, uh, since that moment forward, they've spent quite a bit of money to, uh, to bring everyone at least into some sort of happy place together and amateur radio has been involved in that as well have you seen uh yourself some things that have happened to improve and maybe prevent some of these things these these tragedies from from getting so out of hand since that time well uh, just in our general area here i i can't you know cover the whole country but i've noticed a lot more friendlier interaction between the hams and the powers that be there's a lot more respect with the capability of these people who are willing to do for nothing what many of these uh, uh, police and fire uh, do for pay, but often it, it's, they think of it as drudgery work, but we're there for when something happens. We're eyes and ears. We do the storm chasing, if, and, and we seem to be in a blessed area for emergencies. <laughs> We had a space shuttle, crashed within 50 miles of town here. The president, where did he go with 9-11? He came here. Uh, we've had so many tornadoes. We have hurricanes. We're far from the coast, but we still get 100 plus mile an hour winds. Uh, we still get hurricanes that really affect us and we have flooding issues. So uh, we have so many reasons uh, besides hailstones the size of grapefruit two weeks ago. There's so many reasons why you want to be able to take care of yourself. But ham radio, that sounds a little odd, but when you're taking care of yourself, you're taking care of the others around you too, and the hams react. Uh, we report such weather events. We follow the tracks of the tornadoes. We actually have guys that are out there. Um, uh, bless them, but what are they going to do if they actually catch one? <laughs> Yeah, they have to quit chasing and, and hold on, I guess. Well, it's it's happened, but mostly we report that way. Uh, the professionals will know where to go. They'll know what assets to, to take, whether they need fire and EMS or whether they just need police for uh, bad signal lights and such that are out, whether they need to route power company personnel. Because when you have a storm like that, the first thing that happens is the phone system's down. And that's another thing. Everybody keeps saying, oh, we'll use cell phones. That'll do. Uh, have you ever tried to call on Mother's Day or on Christmas and make a phone call? Now, wired phones even get to the point where they're overloaded. Cell phones have much, much less capacity. Uh, people take it for granted that the phone works every time. Often it doesn't, and the reason is the circuits are overloaded. Well, uh, ham radio doesn't get overloaded. We have so many ways, so many frequencies, and uh, we have enough knowledgeable people that know how radio works and how their radio works. We're able to get the word out, and that's why it's so important to do the training. 
It may not save your life, but I bet it'll save someone's life during your career as a ham. And it, I'll, I'll call it a job because it does take much more than average uh, hobbyist kind of thing. It takes commitment to actually do the emergency communications and participate in uh, the area around you. But we're such an asset now. I could, 10 years after the fact, I can go up to the, to the communication center, uh, the comm link, they call it, and knock on the door. A camera will pan around and see me, and they open the door. And uh, you just, uh, you don't know what a feeling it gives you when you say, I did that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was uh, quite a contribution from the hobby. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not funny when you look back at it, but when you think about it, uh, how small of a thing being an amateur radio operator is, but what a difference you can make with a hobby. I mean, you don't see many golfers, and if you're listening, I apologize if that offends you. It's the first thing that came to mind. But unless they're doing a, a charity golf event, you don't see very many of them doing something that's going to save someone's life while participating in their hobby. Even if they go out and they practice once a week or once a day or once every three days, uh, amateur radio, uh, it's more than just carrying a walkie talkie with you, handy talkie with you. It's more than just having a, a VHF rig in your truck or an HF rig in your shack or, you know, playing contest or on the weekend. Uh, th- there's a lot of aspects to this hobby. You know, you, you spoke of Echo Link, and we haven't done a show on Echo Link, and I feel like we probably should. But uh, that's, you know, here you were in a place who where you had Internet connectivity, and you were able to pass traffic via the Internet to people all over the country so that they could pass traffic over RF and satellite phones and whatnot. It all just came together and jailed and worked, even though it probably wasn't supposed to. It did. And that's to me, that's one of the most exciting things about the hobby. You know, being a radio geek your entire life, this kind of stuff excites you. Not the, not the suffering or the hurting, but seeing it work and hearing about it work, uh, it really just makes me smile from the inside out. Carl, I appreciate you being with us, sharing with us not only your, your personal experiences, but, uh, but also the recordings, the, the, uh, the history of how amateur radio played in just this one instance, this one town, this one 911 center, this one operator and his comrades there uh, in Bossier Parish, how you guys were able to help so many people. And, and because of that, we want to say thank you on behalf of the audience. Thank you for your your service, along with the folks who, who were there with you, the ladies who helped take the calls and, and the folks who, who all participated. So thank you, Carl for being on the show and thank you for, for all your work in the hobby and on behalf of the, uh, the citizens of Louisiana. Well, thank you. And one thing I'd like to add, even the hardened professionals of, of the, uh, nine one one center there, uh, we got feedback in one particular case of a young, uh, a young girl. I think she was nine years old and one of the local hams, his neighbor, uh, came over and said, well, uh, my niece is down there. She was visiting relatives and we can't find her. Well, I had put out the call and the next day we got word back that uh, she was found and she was well. She was not where she had started out. The storm had displaced her and uh, we were able to locate one person 
in the entire state that quickly. And uh, even the, the hardened professionals who rarely ever get feedback, by the way, of whether what they've done is successful, much like I did during that event. But that one incident uh, pretty much brought the crowd to tears. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you because, folks, if, if you weren't there, if you didn't see it, uh, it, it was so much greater than what was shown on the television. It's 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 hard to express the the, the devastation, the destruction, the the annihilation, almost of of not just individuals but entire towns and communities were just removed, uh, flooded over. It was it was beyond words. It's like trying to describe the Grand Canyon. You can't. And, and unless you're there seeing it, it's it's something that you can't express. But to Carl, when, when you say that you found someone in that mass of hysteria, that's quite an accomplishment. Especially for, like you say, some folks who just volunteered, who were called upon to share their technical skills that they honed as a volunteer. I think it speaks a lot of our hobby and I want to encourage folks, if you're listening and, and uh, you don't participate in emergency communications, maybe, you know, like I said earlier, that's not for you, okay. But if you, you think that you might want to help, it's something definitively to begin to, to, begin to, to, to look into. Contact your local uh, EOC, your, your uh, emergency coordinator for the ARIES group in your area. Uh, participate in the, the, uh, the nets that they have. This this is the springtime, the summertime is ideal time to get started in this because just about everywhere in the US has some weather that's going to give you an opportunity to participate on nets and to pass traffic. Unfortunately, that's just how it goes. But uh Carl, we appreciate it, man. We've we've really enjoyed having you. Uh enjoy participating with you on the forums and uh, I want to say hey to Alan and Sean uh, and uh thank them for uh, getting us getting us together to get you on the air here on the Photon Podcast and and um, ha- have a have a genuine consideration and, and thank you for uh, for what you've done and and not only folks I mean Carl now he's gonna he's gonna get mad at me for saying this but Carl spends a lot of time helping people regarding amateur radio and I know for just just one thing uh, he he likes to share his Google Drive files and uh, you know I'm I'm in the middle of trying to get some APRS running in my county. And Carl's like, hey, you should try this antenna, this single-band uh, VHF antenna, and you could probably build five or six in a day, and I did. And it was a lot of fun, but I, but I wouldn't have had that so accessible if it hadn't been for Carl. So thank you again, Carl, for what you do for the hobby and for participating with us and coming on the show today and sharing with us. Well, nobody plans for an emergency to happen in their life. So when one does... Let's hope you've taken the time to train and plan ahead and think of how you're going to handle it because your life may be depending on it. Yep, yep. And someone else's may as well. Folks, it's Carl McNair from Bossier Parish in Louisiana, almost in the Texas. I didn't realize you were that far north. This Kilo Bravo 5 Whiskey Mike Yankee. Carl, thank you again for coming on the podcast. We've enjoyed having you on. Hope to have you back again. Thank you. I enjoyed uh, passing the word. The training is so important, and the ham hobby itself. Well, now that I've become physically uh, quite disabled, uh, I've got some pretty healthy uh, 
cancer problems right now that uh, uh, I don't know uh, where it's going to take me from here. But it's limited what I'm able to do physically, but it still hasn't limited me from what I'm able to do to help others. Well, I think that says a lot about your character, Carl. Thank you so much again. We'll, uh, we'll chat with you soon. Thank you. Hey, it was a little bit longer maybe than some of our past episodes, but we appreciate you sticking here with us. And Carl, again, thank you for being on the show. Hey to our friends on TSP, and we appreciate the encouragement to get the program done. And uh, speaking of appreciation, how about Jay Hansen, Kilo 2, Victor Kilo Sierra? Both of those guys reviewed us here in the past, really recently past, on iTunes. That's a big deal. If you're listening on iTunes, anywhere you're listening, if you want to review the program and tell everybody how great it is, we really appreciate that. New Twitter followers, ARRL South Carolina, Brian Love, John Doe, 4Z1 Whiskey Golf, November 9, Juliet Hotel Bravo, and Kenwood Ham Radio all on Twitter. And Rick, if I haven't yet said thank you, because I can't remember, but if I haven't said thank you for your gift on PayPal, thank you very much. We appreciate your help to keep the Photime podcast going. All right, guys, we're back next time. Episode 25 special with Fritz, Whiskey 4, and T.O., and we're going to talk about his time in World War II. In addition to that, we're going to be giving stuff away. And if you haven't registered, you can't win. And it's so easy to register. Go to the itsfotime.com website, left-hand sidebar. You'll find the email sign-up plug. Just click your stuff in there. You're, you're signed up. You're, you could possibly win some really cool stuff we're going to give away. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Next time, y'all, we'll see you then, 73. for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents Bowtime, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bowtime Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at MTCRadio.com. Till next time, 73s.